0: Hello and welcome to the Griswold podcast on iCode Media. Have you ever wondered how people get so much done with so little time? Today I spoke with Dr. Gina Wesley, who has had a really great, successful practice and has developed her practice from the infancy stages into being able to bring on an associate and how that grew her practice. And she's very excellent at implementing new programs that are not necessarily covered by insurance plans and take a little bit additional effort and actually a significant amount of effort in order to integrate them into her clinical protocols efficiently and effectively. Today we spoke about that, had a great conversation with Dr. Wesley. I hope you'll enjoy it. It was a lot of fun. As always, please subscribe to the podcast, give us a five-star review, and support those who support us. I think we're in the best time to practice optometry. Yes, on this podcast, we've discussed the expansion of corporate entities, vertical integration, online retailers, and unproven technology. But I truly believe if we're taking care of our patients and offering the newest and best options for their eye health and vision, these disruptors will only serve as a clear distinguisher between what patients can get from them and what they expect from us. So, I was excited to find out that CooperVision recently received approval for its new BioAffinity Toric multifocal contact lenses from the US FDA. In our practice, we've had a ton of success for our patients in terms of comfort, vision, and stability with proven optical designs of CooperVision's BioAffinity Toric. The BioAffinity Toric multifocal combines that toric design and its rapid stabilization with the flexibility and customization of the BioAffinity multifocal lens. This provides our presbyopic astigmatic patients with an excellent option for minimizing their dependence on glasses. Check out the show notes and link to Cooper Vision's website for contact lens parameters and more release information. Why do you think it is that people don't wanna talk about the balance of work and life?
1: I think that in our profession, There still is this well-established sort of paradigm of you can be a practice owner, you can do all these things, you can be a successful business owner, Um, but because of the influx of women in our profession, um, it's not, hasn't been as much of a dialogue of like, hey Chris, what happens when your kid is sick and you have a full day schedule worth of patients and your spouse is on a business trip? right? So some of these things aren't always talked about. I think that it's getting discussed more frequently now, which is great, but I found that we here in Minnesota have a networking group called Networking Optometric Women and the Minnesota Optometric Association is is the one who organizes their events and they had a panel that I did with a bunch of other very successful females that own their own practices, variety of ages, and it was very well attended. And our conversation and dialogue lasted for two and a half hours and they had to stop us because it was time for them to close down the restaurant for the evening that hosted the event. And all we did was simply talk about our paths and our journeys, which was all, they were all different. And I love the perspective of being able to talk to the doctors who had been doing this for four years. I mean, talk about balance of practice and family not being talked about with, I mean, in their generation and their time. And I feel like it's getting more of a commonplace conversation. I was like, how did you do it? You know, you didn't have the support that we even have now or the creative solutions that we have now. So it was really fun to hear their journeys and uh, the conversations and the dialogue and the questions that were asked, you know, it had to do with student loans and getting married and do I keep my name do I change my Mm -hmm. name what about children how do you do that how do you balance it and uh, it was something that was really engaging and it was a great dialogue and I think it gave people some solutions that they hadn't maybe thought of before and it also gave you a sense of okay there's other people that are going through this as well it's a struggle for other people the struggle is real yeah yeah
0: so how do you manage uh, having having kids that are sick and your husband's gone for a work trip?
1: It's, it's difficult, right? So I think back to the days because I started my practice cold in 2008 and I had my first child about a year later. And I work, thankfully, I, I've always worked part-time since I've had kids. So I see patients. I used to see patients three days a week. Now I see patients two. Uh, I have an associate who works with me. But um, if my husband was gone and my kiddo was sick, you know, there I am having to cancel a full day's worth of patients, but I still have to pay my staff. I still have to, none of my expenses change with that loss, and I've just inconvenienced a whole bunch of other people. So fortunately, it didn't happen much, but I don't have family close by to help with the support. Where are you from? I'm from Pipestone in the southwest portion of Minnesota. And so my parents, you know, are three and a half hours away, Mm. and my in-laws are about an hour and a half away. And i will say my mother-in-law did help out on a number of occasions but you know when your kids are little and that illness comes about so after so my first child i had um him in a traditional daycare setting about three days a week and after when i was pregnant with my second i was like i can't we can't do this i can't have this with two kids potentially getting sick so i decided to get a nanny um and i grew up in a traditional family home you know my mom she had a career which she stopped when she started having children And, um, you know, we didn't know anybody who had ever had a nanny or an in-home sort of care situation. And I did look into the au pair situation, but I personally was like, I don't know if I can have somebody else live in my house with me. Uh, So we hired a nanny and it was great because the personal attention and I, you know, I only lived a couple miles away from my practice. So I would still be coming home at lunch and seeing the kids. But if they were running a low grade fever, it wasn't something that stopped the presses for the day. And so that has been something that's been really, you know, really, really nice. Now, my associate doctor, uh, Joelle Holland, she just had a baby about a year ago. And she has embraced and has done the O pair and has worked out really well for her. Um, and her husband, Zach Holland, is also an optometrist. So they both have, you know, they have the same situation going on times two. Yeah. And um, their au pair situation has worked out wonderfully for them. And so I think it's just exploring and thinking about the various options that you have to give you flexibility and and what, do what's right for you, right? It might still be that you want your kid in a, a child care center because that's what's going to bring you the best balance. Or it might be that there is, you know, the opportunity for your husband to stay at home, you know, some with your child or your significant other or family. Um, and that's awesome. But being creative in those solutions and, and trying to think what would be the best balance and change it if it's not working too, you know? And so, We had a nanny up until just last year when my youngest went to kindergarten, and now we're doing some more after-school care stuff. But I would love to be able to, you know, engage possibly another part-time nanny just to have a little bit more flexibility. Mm. But I'm also the nice thing about being a practice owner, changing my own schedule to meet more of my family demands, Uh, and so that's been, you know, a really nice aspect. So tell
0: me how you do that. With um, so, how do you grow a practice at at, when you're all in at three days a week. And then, you know, on the one hand, I think it can be beneficial to be there constantly. At least, you know, if it's three days a week, it's split up among five days where you've got half days here so that you're always accessible. Um, But I'm not saying that's the right way or the only way to do it. But how do you do it the other way where you have three consecutive days or three days mixed in to a week and then continue to grow and then know this is when we're going to bring somebody else on. And how do you have... How do you feel comfortable having an associate there that's that's there more often than you?
1: Yeah, so you definitely have to be able to take a deep breath and be willing to let go of some of the control because there's no way you are going to be able to be present in both worlds all the time. And I think that was the difficulty I ran into in the early days of my practice is that even if I wasn't at the office, I was still getting calls from the office, communications about patients, especially because I had... The three days, but the two days that were off were non-doctor days. So, what the first thing I suggest to women when they own their own practice is I say, if you really want to go part-time or you want to cut down, I would highly suggest bringing an associate on far before the industry norms say you should. Hmm. Okay, because, I
0: always think that's true. Yes. I actually always think that it's true to, to bring on an associate before industry norms because if you're waiting for industry norms to occur... You're you're losing out. Patients are going to find somebody else to see, and you're you're spending time. So so here's here's my perspective: is that industry norms, and you've seen me give this talk before, is mm-hmm. that industry norms are relying far too much on the routine care and mm-hmm. the sale of something, mm-hmm. the sale of a product. Mm-hmm. So that's why that's why I think root, root, you know the industry norms are just not um, probably applicable because I, I start thinking okay. You can pay somebody a very good base per diem, and um, if they see two uh, acute problems in your practice, and you're appropriately billing and charging for those problems, they've more than paid for themselves.
1: Absolutely.
0: And and so, like, I completely agree with you. Is that people wait too long to to bring them in? So when so let's go back then for your your situation. When did you bring her in and, and 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 what was the what were you thinking at that point? What were you looking at at that point?
1: Yeah, so the, it's a really good story and I think more of a reality-based situation is when I had my first child, I brought in a doctor to see patients about 2 days a week during my maternity leave and my goal was just to make sure I could pay the bills, right? Mm-hmm. Um so, you know, that happened, that was temporary. But with my second child, I was like, okay, I really want to bring somebody in that's going to stay, not just cover my maternity leave, bring them in in that pretense that they're going to help me cover my maternity leave, but that this is a long-term potential solution for both of us. And that doctor was wonderful, and she was with me for a couple years, but then she moved on because you know, at that point in time, she was only working two days a week for me, was piecing together other work Mm -hmm. and it wasn't a good balance for her and her family, Yeah, which I totally respected that decision, you know? So she ended up leaving and I was like, okay, I'm going to find somebody else. And it took almost two years before I found my associate that I have now. Why is
0: that? What what do you think was the limiting factor for you or for them? Was it your practice? Was it you that were, was kind of too picky? What What do you think? It
1: was my standards. I really, I really had to feel comfortable in finding the person I thought that could, you know, be that person to help me grow my practice and have the same value set. And even, you know, I don't want them to be the same as me, but you have to be similar to be able to drive my practice in, in the way that I want. And it ended up working out really well because uh, as much as I enjoyed working with my previous associate, the associate I have right now, overall, you know, better fit and really, you know, and you understand this being a practice owner, started producing almost at the same level as me right out the door.
0: Wow, that's great.
1: It's really great, right? And I loved it because she was right out of school and, Did your
0: ego ever get in the way of that? Or did you, you, were you automatically like, this is awesome because... Because I'll tell you, um, when our associate has days that are bigger than my days, <laughs> I, I love it. But I have to like, uh, you know, I, I'll be honest. Like I'm like I'm like, wow, you know, like maybe I need to step up my game a little bit. <laughs> know. You know, there's like this competitiveness in right. me. But then I should just feel like, oh, this is wonderful. Like, and I do. Yeah. But I have to almost talk myself to that. Right. Because you know, like, you know, if I could be the, you know, I if they're doing better than I am, then that that means that. They're awesome, right? Yeah. And I probably did a pretty decent job of mentoring them along, right. Hopefully. Yes, right? or somebody in our practice, Maybe it was my dad that helped help mentor them along, right? But yeah, in any case, did, was your ego ever involved?
1: Well, I think the biggest thing for me was that this was my practice, and these were my patients, right? They had only been used to me and my level of care. And so when I saw some of them flip over to her so easily and be like, "She's so great. You're like, This is exactly what I wanted. But there is that little bit of a gut check. Uh, But it was fine because I, you know, at the end of the day, I'm looking at my children and my husband and I was like, I'm making this decision so that I can be more with them. And I'll never look back and say, oh, I wish I would have worked more so that I could have produced at a higher rate than my employee. You know, I would rather be with my family. And so it it took a little bit of adjustment, but now I'm totally fine. I'm like, she can see all my patients if a need be, right? And that's that's what you want. That's what you want. Yeah. And and what's I, my her confidence. perspective then?
0: So what's what's her perspective? Have you talked to her about this? Where is she happy um, with the situation she has with with you, or does she have a goal to be an owner in your practice or an owner of another practice?
1: Yeah, well, I, I sure hope she's happy. She uh, she and I have a lot of conversations, and that's something I also really value. When I had started my practice cold, you know, for a number of years, I was by myself. You know, I was an island and I missed because I had started out in a group practice right out of school, having somebody to run things by, you know, hey, I saw this patient, I saw this, what about this, what about that? So she and I have a really good rapport for that and she brings a really good business perspective. Um, And so when I brought her on, you know, I said right off the bat, I go right now, just I want to be completely fair, you know, ownership option is not on the table. However, that's certainly something I would be open to in the future. And, you know, she's very like, that's just not something I'm interested in at this time, perhaps in the future I would be. uh, But I think she's looking for a place to practice and, and do what she wants. And my practice seems to be that for her. So when I brought her on, I actually started her off at like three to four days a week. I really cut back my time so that I wanted her to be fully engaged. Um, and since then, she now is three days a week, and one of them is a, a longer day. But it works out well, you know, for her. And we have a constant dialogue about what's happening. And um, I sure hope that she's happy because I sure enjoy having her in the yeah. practice. Yeah. Um, and I I don't worry, right? Like if I leave, and that's I think the biggest key, right? I don't worry if I leave and she has to see one of my patients. I know that they're excellent hands. And that has made my life a whole lot easier. You know, I used to not really be able to feel like I could go on vacation Mm. without something happening, without there being a staff issue or a problem. And I think that's the other key step is that as my practice has grown bigger, getting appropriate management personnel in place. And that has honestly been a struggle for me to find the right person. And it just within this last year, and I wrote an article on this, I wrote this Optometric Management Tip of the Week article that talked about this management solutions company that's here in the Twin Cities. It's called Healthcare Management Resources. And they provide a la carte or package sort of staffing solutions, whether it be payroll management, Hmm. benefits management, In-house, you know, office manager for hire, staff performance reviews, the the little things that perhaps unless you started your practice cold, you wouldn't necessarily know about. Like, what are you going to do when you have two staff members that are sick or somebody's on a vacation or something? That's not fair, Dr. Wesley, and you're dealing with that minutia that's not unimportant, but is not the best use of your time. And to have that in place has been a game changer for me. So So
0: tell me, they, they actually deal with all of that for you.
1: So yeah. So what happens is is that the office manager, I have him come in three days a week and he was a uh,
0: and he's a person. an employee of that company. Exactly. Interesting. Yes.
1: Yeah. So he, I had known him and I found his resume online. I had known him because he had managed other very large, successful MDOD groups in the in the Twin Cities. And I found his resume and I'd reached out to him about another position I had in my office. And I said, hey, I saw your you know, your resume online. Are you available? I would totally, I would hire him in a second. He's like, no, I'm actually working for this company right now. And I was like, that's really interesting. I'm going to put that in my back pocket. And sure enough, a couple months later, I was like, I think I'm ready to talk to you because I had another staff member change. And so he and I sat down and it was the right fit. And I said, I'll. I want to do this, but only if I have you, mm-hmm. because it's a group of people, right? So I like, Do they only don't... do
0: it for for this area, no. or they have well, people?
1: No, only for this area and for a mixture of MD, not OMD, right. but MD OMD OD groups. Hmm. And so it's it's a neat thing because it's a team of people. So let's say you know if you're the traditional office setup and you have an office manager that's doing everything, you know, payroll, benefits management, etc. That office manager leaves your office, right. Or is sick? You're or starting out. all over from You're scratch. Starting all over, and he's like, "We well, you have your person who does your perils. You know that person's out for the day. I Have another team member that just slides right into that position. So it's a team of people. And I don't even have them doing that, right, for me because I already had that in place. Right. But I was I, I needed more of the personnel management. Um, and I I I love my staff. I appreciate my staff and everything they do. But some of the performance evaluations and that. Um, it was it was difficult, and I find that it's better now that there's a go-between. I think for both my staff and myself, mm-hmm. in that it, there's like a buffer,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, and for me that has made for a better workplace because I can I can say you know this is the way this is a business I'm running a business and making decisions to support the business, um, you know, and it's not personal, but it's always personal when it comes to employees. And if you have somebody else who's able to this is what Dr. Wesley wants, and this is how we're going to best fit this. It, it seems to go over more smoothly, and it's been it's been a, an adjustment for my staff. And I think at first they were like, Dr. Wesley, you don't care. You're stepping back from the practice. And I'm like, actually, I know more now than I did before. You just don't know that I know that. And I said, I still care. I care about you as individuals, but I need to spend my time on growing this practice and I need to spend my time doing the things that are going to be the best for this business and this person is helping me to do that.
0: So that's that's a challenge because, you know, on the one hand, I always say I say I'm probably not that good of a businessman because I I tend to have I love what this solution provides. But I tend to feel like I just want to try to make it work for people. Mm-hmm. Like I think we have a great team. I'm really happy with the team we have. And it's not that I'm worried about them leaving, but I start thinking about the ramifications of like, if I could, if somebody asks for a day off, and, and we have a manager that's a go-between as well, mm-hmm. but um, but I, I see that what happens sometimes is she gets in a tough position because she's trying to follow quote-unquote policy. And I just, I just generally don't like hard policy yeah. because I think, I'm not saying I'm right. This is why I think I'm not a good businessman, right? Is that or not as good as I could be is because I'm thinking, well, hard policy means that you got somebody that that needs to go or take care of their sick parent or their, you know, or uh, a last minute trip opportunity comes Mm -hmm. up that's like trip of a lifetime. Mm -hmm. And in my mind, I'm thinking, you know, I'd like to be able to do that. There are times where I ask the staff to, to like, okay, block me out today or, you know, cancel those patients, reschedule them because I've got a, a new, another thing that came up. And I try to be respectful of that, but that happens. Yep. And I know it's my business. I know that, but I try to always be respectful of like, if those things come up, if we can put possibly accommodate them, I'd like to try to accommodate them. But that makes my, my manager's staff. Or my manager's job a little harder because quite a bit harder, probably, because she's trying to mitigate whether or not um, this is something that Dr. Wolf's going to be okay with or not okay with. Because there, there is this kind of general policy, but like we know that, that he, so I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know if there's a question in there. I, I'm just throwing that I, out there, thinking, <clears throat> well, I think what's the solution? How does that work?
1: Well, I hear you because policy is policy and is meant to be black and white, but when you deal with people, it's never black and white. And so uh, I I always say to the staff, you know, I don't want to say no to you, but we do have to make sure that the business is supported because without the business, none of us are here. And I think that you always have to put that business hat on. But the nice thing and the way that previous management that I had at the office that didn't work out had been very black and white, and it made it very difficult and uncomfortable for the staff to feel that when they took time away, that it was okay. It was like, who's going to cover? And so... Well, the culture that I really wanted this new office manager to come in and help create was a culture of flexibility and team support, right? I said, we should be okay if somebody's out sick. It shouldn't be like a fire sale because we are down one person in my office. And my staff usually, you know, there's probably six support staff at any given time for us as, you know, the doctors. And I was like, we could lose one person and we should be fine. But that wasn't always the feeling. And so trying to change that and being flexible, which it also means like kind of changing my schedule. And the nice thing about my practice at this point is that I've curated and picked what, you know, I only take one vision plan right now and I I'm on all the panels for major medical in here in Minnesota. That is, you know, we do have a pretty good setup in that respect. But I've been very particular about the type of patient I want to see in my practice. I could have grown a lot faster if I wanted to, but I didn't want. You know, I wanted, you know, and my metrics support that. Right. You know, so I can I can see less patients and make, you know, still really good income at my practice and so we have room in my schedule right now. It's a it's a fairly, you know, still you know, we have openings and slots. If you call my office, you can get in within a day or two, most mm-hmm. likely, to see myself or my doctor. Mostly my associate doctor. She's a little more open than I am because my patients have been with me longer. But those are the sorts of overall goals, you know, and I'm you know, forward thinking and trying to think, like, what's this going to look like? Like, What do I want in the next couple of years for my personal life that my business is going to be able to support? What do you want? Well, I want... I, I want to still stay in patient care because I need to stay relevant because I do consulting and speaking and publishing and I do enjoy patient care. But I'll be honest, if I had to see patients five days a week, I would probably would go a little crazy. That would be hard for me because I need, I think, a balance of different activities to keep myself happy. And so I do clinical research in my office. I work for all the four majors in the contact lens spectrum. I do some dry eye stuff, and I do like that. That's really nice. It's more objective. It is a little more black and white because you tell patients what to do. You're evaluating and reporting data, and so that's nice. And I also have some of my vision training that I do in my practice. And so um, I'd love to grow. I'm starting to do some more with sports vision training. I'd love to grow that. Um, And so – it's optometry and optometry related things. And I just want to be involved in a, a variety of ways. I want to support my, you know, associations. I would love to figure out a way to be more involved. And I think that's another tough thing is trying to figure out what to say yes to and what to say no mm. to. Right. And if yeah. you listen to some of these, I'm all about, you know, personal development and trying to figure out, you know, how to be more productive and the best productivity sort of books I read and podcasts I listen to is, they're like, it's more about what you say no to than what you say yes to. And I think that if, you know, like you are super active in the industry and I'm active and you have to say no a lot and you have to become comfortable with doing that and I think that can apply to anybody. It doesn't necessarily mean people who are active in the industry. If if you just have a practice or even if you're an employee, there are things coming your way. People will ask you of your time all the time. And you, if you don't have a good sense of what you want or what the most important thing is to do, it's easy to get caught up in becoming too busy Yeah. to really be a master of none. Yeah. You know, and a dabbler of many.
0: Yeah. Well, I think that's, I think you and you and I are very similar in the respect of I always want to be in clinical care because I like it. I mean, I do like mm-hmm. it. Um, but I'm trying to figure out what is that balance of because I like doing this other stuff as well. And it's all, it's not just I like it, I love doing all this other stuff. Mm-hmm. But um, with I feel like the last year, especially with the podcast, um, I've been able to take a step back and really be able to evaluate like yeah this isn't probably something that's going that's going to drive me in the direction that I'm that I really want to go and um and so with with kind of uh, I've been able to consolidate the the time I spend so like on the one hand is developing protocols right so mm-hmm. that that's actually so now we're into the myopia control protocol development and then um and so that's been great because it it gets me in the in the realm of, okay, how would we present this topic to doctors that don't do it? And how would we figure out help them figure out ways to incorporate it into their practices? So that that feeds my, okay, I gotta research it. Mm-hmm. It's gotta be evidence-based. And then it feeds my practice because then I have to figure out how would this work in my practice? Yes. And then if I can work it in my practice, then how is it going to work into somebody else's practice? And we already do a bunch of myopia control, but I would say our processes still could be refined. Mm-hmm. I mean, I keep going and, and I think they could be refined for any anybody's practice, But, but for example, is it best to just say, we're gonna do a global fee? No matter what type of mechanism we're using, do we do a global myopia control fee? Or do we just, you know, depend on what you choose as a patient or what, you know, I might say this is the best option for you, but you might not choose that option because it's more cost or whatever. Mm -hmm. So I'm not, I think we have to be flexible and having protocols for people that can choose one or the other. Mm -hmm. But in my practice, we've sort of been like, okay, well, we can do these different mechanisms. Uh, But I'm really moving toward this idea of like, we have a global fee. We take care of you for the entire year whatever you need is included underneath that mm-hmm. and and then we're just going to do it because I don't want you to try to make a decision based on cost right. when when that might that decision might not be the best thing for your kid. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, I don't want you to not make it. On the other hand, right? the other side of it is, well, I'd rather you do something because that cost decision might be a factor and it might benefit your kid over time. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So anyway, I, I could go back and forth on that. I, I have to first, I guess, get it clear in my mind. The bottom line with what I'm saying about all this is that I think, uh, so the protocols, this really allows me, like we were talking when you just first came in, is um, I learn a ton from just sitting down and talking to people. And uh, the more I do that, I get done with doing that. I'm like, I wanna have five or six more conversations. Right. Like I start thinking about, well, could I even get to the point where I'm doing this twice a week mm-hmm. or three times a week? You know, and, and would people even want it that often? I don't know. But I could I could probably have that many conversations.
1: Which I admire so much about you, Chris, because you're constantly wanting to learn and better yourself and better the profession. Mm-hmm. And the things that you do are so important because you're going to help other doctors to better the profession. And when it comes to those those protocols, it is really interesting to try and figure out what's best. We do a lot of myopia control in my office. We do level fees, and it depends on the the complexity of the case, not just from the complexity of the prescription, but honestly, from the complexity of, is this child or their parent going to be more high maintenance? (laughs) And I don't feel bad for saying, hey, you know what? This is going to take a little more more of my time, and I'm going to charge an appropriate fee for that time and management. Um, and our levels aren't vastly different from one another, but it does help you to feel more comfortable. And I and think- and do
0: you do that across the board, no matter what mechanism you're using for well, that patient treatment? Or are you just talking about orthokeratology? Just or,
1: orthokeratology, yeah. mm-hmm, because that's the majority of the what we're using. Yeah,
0: that's the majority Although, of what I use as well.
1: Yep, and we it's interesting because we have offered the other you know options, right? Atropine, not very well received in my practice, and no, neither you, in mine. No, and I was like, why would you choose a medicine when you can do a non medicinal approach? it'll be interesting with the my site lens and yeah. what happens with that and how that affects. But I've been using multifocals for myopic pediatric multifocal control. And that's a different fee, much less, right? Because yep. it's more easily managed. So, but it's, it's uh, constantly being changed, right? It's a dynamic process. And my associate has helped and she's really passionate about um, myopia control. And we, and she, she and I together have really developed this, you know, how are we going to do this? What's the system? And then don't be afraid to change it, right? Yeah. I think that's the key is that I feel like people are like, this is the way it didn't work. I'm just going to abandon it.
0: Well, what, don't you think it has something to do... I, I think that's true. I, I completely agree with that. And I think when something doesn't work, especially if you don't have good mentors in mm-hmm. place or colleagues in place that have been through it. Uh, and I always call them mentors because my colleagues are also my mentors, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. And so, um, so if you don't have somebody like I can be like, oh, Gina's doing this. Mm-hmm. This is, I mean... I mean, not that like, oh, if you could do it, anybody could do it. No, mm-hmm. it's like you you can do it. That means it can be done. Yep. I can learn from you and I can steal your ideas. That's and, exactly
1: what I did. I don't know if you remember that one of the first times I ever talked to you was about lippy flow. Yeah. I called your practice and say yeah. like, you got to right. talk to Chris Wolfe. And I was like, how nice is this guy? He's just going to take a few minutes of his time to tell me about his experience. How's it, and it work for it, you? Great. Here I am four years later yeah. doing lipiflows all the time, you know, and I have IPL in my practice now too, and I've married the two together. And uh, it's it's really been quite interesting. And I think from the first, you know, when I had started introducing lipiflow in my practice, we made it way more complicated than it yeah. needed to yeah. be. Right? And so now, you know, I, I'm a big proponent. Are you familiar with the story brand marketing concepts? I
0: am, but go ahead and cover it.
1: Well, it the basic gist is that confusion means no, right? So if mm. you are presented with something and you have any questions whatsoever, you don't exactly understand, even on a subconscious level, what it is you're getting or what it is you're doing, you're going to say no. And the other premise of that concept is that and this is important, I think, for doctors, you're not the hero in the story. Your patient is the hero and you need to be the guide that supports them on their journey, right? And it's all about you. It's Mm. all about you. Chris, you're my patient. You came in with a problem. Here's, I'm going to help you. I'm going to support you. It's not about me saying, well, Chris, I think you should do this, this, and this. And I'd be like, Chris, you told me that you're having this feeling of foreign body sensation at the end of the day and dryness and here's what I'm seeing and here's what we need to do to address that problem and here's how it's going to help you. It's all about you, you, you. We all like people to pay attention to ourselves. And if you think about it, it's a very high level going through this, but it really helped me look around and be like, we just need to simplify everything. I'm literally revamping my website. It'll be launched in probably the next three to four weeks. Totally different than what it is Mm -hmm. right now based on this
0: element. Mm, I'm going to steal it.
1: It's You go for it. <laughs> you go for it. Take a look. But there's some, they have some online courses. And so that's been something I think that's been really, you know, a game changer for me. And I think I'm looking more outside our industry for ideas and concepts and, you know, more business related ideas so, because we're all in a business and our optometry industry is wonderful with some of the resources that it has. But you don't get to shift and change without having a different perspective sometimes from somewhere else. Yeah. And so I find myself looking a little bit more outside. So wait a minute.
0: You just said you're, are you putting online courses for your patients on your platform, on your website? Is that no, what you're talking about? No,
1: no. So this story brand has online oh, courses yes, that yes, yes. you can story, do. Who, who does that? What's Donald his name? Donald Miller.
0: Does he do a podcast too? Yes. I think I've heard his podcast. Yes. It's called StoryBrand, right? It's called StoryBrand. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, um, that's how I recognize yeah, it. Yeah.
1: And I took, they, they have they, they have a workshop you can go to, but they have these online courses, which is much easier. So yeah. that's all I've done. Um, and it really does make you think, you're like, what? A, what is the problem I'm solving? And reaching out and touching the emotion of your patient, you know? like.
0: But you do that. So, so it can sound like, if people are just kind of jumping in and hearing you say that, It can sound like you're you're you know um, underhandedly trying to push their emotional buttons, but you're not doing it for that reason. You're doing it because you know that they're going to be more adherent to what will make them better. Exactly. If you trigger their emotional response.
1: Exactly. Like if I can relate to your frustration with whatever visual problem or struggle you are having, and show empathy that you are going through that. You know, Chris, you deserve great vision. I'm so sorry that you are struggling at the computer right now, but let me tell you something that might help you. Um, and being, you know, a source of information. And he is really neat because he says, I think a lot of times people go in and they try to make a hard sell right. on whatever it is, you know. And it's like, I don't know you. I don't trust you. You have to establish this trust factor, which for us, fortunately, you know, our patients do trust us. Right. But sometimes you do have to present. Like, I feel like if you want to be successful in some of the more... Um, Affluent or affordable, or excuse me, more profitable services that we do, like myopia control, you may have to present that a couple years in a row to totally your patients. Right. Totally right. Lippyful. People are like, what is this you say about this? You know, dry eye treatment, IPL. I was the first optometrist in the state of Minnesota to have IPL. What, what is this? You have to go over it again and again. It takes grit. It takes grit to do it, any you of You have these to things. believe in it. Yes. You,
0: you, in, in, and if you're, and patients will sense that. If, mm-hmm. And I think that it's a big failure of, of docs. And I think it's actually a failure of not, again, not having good mentors and colleagues you can turn to because, um, because where people will fail, it's not their failure, but where, where docs will fail and, and their tool becomes what I call a widget, mm-hmm. right? IPL is now a widget that sits in my back room. Lipoflow is a widget that I used and I paid for because I did a bunch of them in two months and now it's just sitting back there not ever getting used. And it's because when you start getting pushback or you start, or you start um, something doesn't quote unquote work for your practice, then all of a sudden it's like you abandon it. But if mm-hmm. you believe in it, if you, if you believe, and you can, these are technologies you can believe in. Absolutely. Because of the evidence and, and, and my clinical experience as well. So if you can believe in them, it is, if you're the only person talking about it, you have to just be committed. So I'll have patients where, you know, they'll, they, they have dry eye, they um, may be already on a restasis or, and, and I've recommended LipiFlow in the past. Mm-hmm. And like you're saying, it's like, if I don't bring it up the second year, then they all of a sudden thought this was just a widget, yeah. right? This was just something he was trying to sell me last year. But if I'm bringing it up the next year, it's like, Hey, we talked about this last year. Um, or at your last visit, you're still having some of these symptoms, and I'm still seeing your MGS score is five. Mm-hmm. You'd still benefit. You're a great candidate. Whenever you're ready, we'll take care of that for you. And then, okay, they heard it again. Well, he is, yeah. This he he must believe in this, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and the next year, and then now it's like, oh yeah, I, I've been planning for it. I just I just needed a plan for it. Okay, yeah. let's do it. Yes. And and it, it's ultimately to their benefit. And when you incorporate these technologies in your practice, as you said, and you're the only one to do them. Then you have to work extra hard. Uh, you have to be committed to it doubly mm-hmm. uh, in order to make patients understand what it is, because they're they're the doctor that their friend sees just gives them artificial tears, right. or they failed on restasis in the past, and so I must not have dry eye, or I must have a dry eye that you can't treat, mm-hmm. or whatever the reason is. Yeah. So it's really interesting.
1: Yeah, I. <sighs> And, you know, I always say, too, and it's helped that I've built my culture this way, even from the point in time when I didn't have any sort of unusual or advanced technologies, I've always been on the preventative model. And so that's something also, you know, because myopia control is preventative. Dry eye is preventative. And that is not the way our health care in the United States works. And so people who already value and come to me because of that preventative care model, even if they're like, what are you talking about with dry eye? I said, you know how we always talk about prevention and the things that we can do to prevent you from having issues and problems? This is part of that strategy and I am proactively looking at your structure and your function. I'm proactively looking at your overall eye health and I'm trying to mitigate your risk for issues and problems now and later in life. I say, you know, I have many patients who would have done anything to 20 years ago had oh, yeah. this opportunity to address this issue now so they wouldn't be in the miserable state that they are in. You know, or I, I like to use my dad as my example for myopia control. You know, he was, he's a minus four myopia. He's not that high level, right? And in our considerations as, as doctors or even people who are like, that's not, so It's totally manageable, right? But Because of his minus four prescription, you know, he had pigmentary glaucoma, which led to some vision loss, which led to, you know, an epiretinal membrane and a retinal hole. And he's had, and now he has significant dry eye. And he's an otherwise very healthy person, literally zero-ish. The man is 75 and has, is on no medications, but he has significant and advanced dry eye. And I think to myself, what if I would have gotten my, that technology in my office sooner for him? Yeah. What if he was that kid in my office at eight years old with his first prescription and we could have held him at a minus one instead of being a minus four? Would he have had to have all those surgeries that have complicated his dry eye? You know, so when you try to put it and again, I'm telling a story to patients. I'm trying to, you know, get their feeling, you know, like this is how this is real. Like this stuff kind of happens and are all of those things manageable for him? Sure. But ask him how he feels about his dry eye every day and the fact that he has to wear scleral lenses now mm. to re, you know, achieve any sort of relief. Mm. It's a daily quality of life issue. And had we done something about it 20, 30 years ago, if the technology was around, would he even be in the same state that he's in?
0: Yeah, I, it's, weird. it's weird because I can't tell you how many patients that I see that are like that. And if we had that option, and, and, but it's hard to translate that to somebody who is minimally symptomatic or asymptomatic. I mean, you see kids that come in, I, oh, and and it's going to be horrible. rampant. I mean, I'll tell you, I'll tell you that I think in 10, 10 to twenty years, these twenty and thirty year olds they're going to be beating down our doors because they, their myobimian glands are gone. They're, I mean, they're they're just non existent. And then they, and then they don't realize you have to kind of lead them down the path, right? Like, okay, well, the reason your eyes feel good is you're young enough and healthy enough to produce enough aqueous tears that you're not feeling it, mm-hmm. and. And so that's going to last you at, at, you know, till at some point, mm-hmm. but your oil glands are these nubs already. You know, you see these, yeah. it's just crazy. I
1: know. I mean, and that, that doing that screening in my biography on whatever platform it is that you choose, yes. do something is what I tell doctors. You know, I choose to do lippy flow. There are a variety of technologies out there, but evaluate and tell your patients about it. I'm even thinking with my kids and I'm sure you are too. Maybe I should just start doing some lippy flows on them. I've done lippy flows on a number of pediatric patients that have had, you know, just these recalcitrant hortiolum and they just cannot get over, you know, what's going on. And I feel like there are like separate bacterial considerations of this pediatric population that adds a complex element to this whole MGD. But I I feel like I want to get to the point where gland evacuation is just like teeth cleaning. Yep. You just do it every year. Yep. Right. Yep. That's what I would love to see happen. Yeah. Um again, but, but that's a, you know, a paradigm shift and it's going to be a work in progress, but it is something that I think sets people apart when you approach and do things differently. And that's what I was encouraged doctors to do. I was like, think about what you would want as a patient. Yeah. Knowing what you know, what would you want? Yeah. For yourself, your children, your family, and that's literally what I built my practice.
0: Do you think that you can build that practice in any specific location? like do you believe that that you can be the doctor you're talking about being anywhere like or or does it only does it is it facilitated cuz i cuz i think okay could you probably like could i do that in a commercial location yeah probably mhm mm-hmm. But is it more facilitated because you own the practice or you're in a private practice for your associate to be able to do that? What, what are your thoughts on that?
1: I, I do think that you can provide the highest level of care in a variety of settings and situations. That might mean you have to refer a patient for a specific treatment or procedure versus doing it in-house. And I think that's what I value most about owning my own practice is I'm making the decisions about the technologies the systems, the treatments, the options that I'm able to give my patients. And I love that autonomy. If I really look deep down inside myself, what do I value most about having my own practice? It's the independence to make decisions about what I do with my patient care and with my business. And I think that is something that some people value a lot. I would imagine you are one of those people. Mm. But other people are, you know, like, you know what? I have my own practice because it's an excellent source of income for me. And I embrace that as well. You know, I think that we shy away from the fact that it's okay to make money Mm -hmm. doing really good things for your patients. And you can love your job and what you do and be compensated appropriately for that. I think that conversation needs to be more prevalent than it is right now. Uh, and I'm a big advocate because I do think sometimes these doctors that maybe start something and then stop it,
0: mm-hmm.
1: it's because they haven't charged enough for their services. You have these conversations about, well, I'm having problems about my contact lens patients. You know, they, I just did an insertion removal training and you know, that little 10 year old came back and he gave himself on a corneal abrasion on night one. Do I charge him for that visit the next day? You know, I'm like, How about you charge enough for your service, the contact lens fitting, that you have the ability to have some grace? And I tell you that ability to feel like I've done enough, I've charged enough so that I can be benevolent in this situation towards this patient is a win for everybody because you feel relief, you know that you're not losing money, you're not wasting your time, not that it's ever wasted time, but you're not giving away your time. The patient's cared for and feels cared for. I think that would be something across the board that would mm. be an amazing implementation. Charge what you are worth. And that's something I have a conversation with with um, women optometrists about all the time. Something I tell doctors too, and this is, you know, you're an employee doctor. If you're working for someone, show them how you can make them more money yeah. instead of just asking for a raise because you think you deserve a raise. Show them how you're going to make them more money, and they will probably be happy to give you that raise but you have to understand the business nuances of why people you know, do what they do and pay you what they pay. And I think that that, again, is a like, secret dialogue that isn't as much out there as it
0: should be. So I'm gonna end it on that because, well, one, we've gotta get to our, our next presentation, <laughs> and two, because I think we could probably pick this up again yes. and, and finish this conversation or or expand on it. And I, I think probably your last statement was a great place to end it, so. Gina Wesley, thank you very much for coming on. Thank appreciate you for it for
1: having me, Chris. I appreciate it.